Well, hello, and welcome to another edition of the e-commerce evolution podcast. I'm your host, Brett Curry, CEO of OMG Commerce. And I am super excited about today's episode and my guest today. I don't know about you, but I learn best from stories. I like to hear how people did things, why they did things. I love biographies. I love uh, biopics. I think that's word, or biopics, whatever. Uh, I love I love movies that are about people that have done amazing things. And so uh, today, you're going to get to get the inside scoop um, from a very successful e-commerce entrepreneur, very successful entrepreneur in general. Hey, Brett Curry here. I've got an important question for you. Where will your next big idea come from? Where will your next big breakthrough come from? Or where will your next little tweak or little improvement come from? Have a suggestion. Check out our guides and resources at omgcommerce.com. Are you looking to enhance your YouTube ads game? We have two of the best YouTube ad resources that are completely free. Our YouTube ad examples and templates guide and our guide to getting authentic video customer testimonials. But it doesn't stop there. We also have guides on how to maximize sponsor brand video on Amazon and Amazon DSP and Google Shopping and a variety of other things. So get these free guides, give them to your team, even share them with your agency. Just take advantage of these resources and up your game. Let OMG Commerce help. And now back to the show. I'm delighted to, to welcome and introduce my guest today, Mr. Ken Klein. And I love this title. Ken is the chief dreamer. He's also uh, a founding co-owner of VHC Brands. Full disclosure, he is a client of OMG Commerce. We get to work together, which is fun. And that, that allows us to see the inner workings and to, to chat with him on a regular basis. But, you know, it really, he and his parents started this company in the uh, early to mid-90s, and it has exploded, and you'll get to hear some of that success. And a couple of really interesting things about Ken that I want to share before we dive in and before you know, I let him actually uh, contribute here too is, uh, one, he did graduate from Pepperdine University, which is in Malibu, California, one of my favorite spots to visit. I love Southern California. I'm a, I'm a wannabe surfer, and so Malibu is a great, a great spot. Uh, he was an English major. And so uh, we found that, that Ken's style of communication is, is very creative and interesting and fun. Uh, maybe the most fun um, client to exchange emails with because it's like, you know, reading beautiful prose when you read uh, Ken's emails. And then, um, you know, he is also a brilliant chef and uh, has, has taught me a thing or two about fine wine and about uh, good quality food and plating and things like that. And so without, without, without intro... Ken, man, welcome to the show, and thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you. That was a that was quite an intro, Brett. I think are we done now? That, that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that's that's a real everybody. It. So hopefully <laughs> you were inspired and <laughs> I feel great. Thanks. <laughs> uh, that's that's beautiful. But uh, but yeah, in all seriousness, um, you know, very creative guy, and I think that that plays into your ability to run a, an awesome company. Uh, but just really quickly, I think this will this will give people the flavor and, and no real pun intended. Although I guess so, uh, you like to cook. So so talk to talk to me quickly about uh, what you like to cook. And then I think because I think this is fascinating. You, you taught me this. We had dinner at your house not long ago, and you taught me about plating plating the food for your guests. Why? What is that, and why is that important? Yeah. So uh, the great question. Thank you. And I do I do cook for. Uh, 
to relax. And I do cook because in the back of my mind, I'm thinking on CEO things or owner or entrepreneurial things, but I'm not thinking I'm on the front, the front plate. I'm thinking I'm on the back plate, you know? Yep. And so it's like people that mow the lawn or do go for walks, which I go for long walks also. It's just, it's just a way for me to kind of unwind and to exercise a completely different part of my brain. But I also have a passion for it. So I just, I just really enjoy it. But it, it seriously allows me to turn off that part of my head that wants to think about e-commerce or think about logistics or think about management or HR. It just totally allows me to switch gears, right? And so, probably some of your best ideas come to the surface when you're, when you're cooking or, or at least gives you the release for those good ideas to come later. You know? Yeah, I think that's, that's true. I think it, it, gives you, it gives me, I can only speak for myself, it gives me a buffer where I've rested that part of my brain and then things bubble up and I feel refreshed, which my wife would say, I feel like you just worked. You just, I feel like you just worked a lot. And I said, no, I feel completely energized, you know, which is, which is kind of cool. So I, I can, I can stand in the kitchen eight to 10 hours at a time and not even realize it. Wow. Just, which, you know, that's kind of ridiculous, but I, yeah, but, but the end result of that is, is, is a magnificent thing. And so, uh, talk talk to us about this idea of plating and why you think it's so important. Because I think there's a couple of business lessons and, and also it's just a fun way to start too. Yeah, yeah. So I am, and, I, and I'm really big on the presentation. And I think that the presentation, first of all, people start with saying, wow, this this looks really good. Mm-hmm. And, and that when they say that, they're already you've already opened them up for a really engaging experience, right? And, uh, and so that's the idea there is to say, look, it's visually very appealing. And, and for most normal people, that's, that, that ends up being a function of the overall enjoyment. And it's not something to your point that people think about. They don't, they don't necessarily, they didn't necessarily articulate that on their agenda of a great meal. But, it, but if you go to any great restaurant, and you know, you watch any vlogs on cooking or whatever. I mean, any great chef, and I'm not supposing that I am, but any great chef is going to present the product extremely well. Like that's part of the review. So I think of it as I'm having people over for dinner. They may be close friends, they may be business associates, uh, they may be family, but I'm going to treat them the same in terms of that the, the experience that way. I like to do that for people. I like to see the expressions on their face. I like to see how they react. I like the questions that they ask. So I'm, I really enjoy like picking fresh herbs and placing them around the plate or dusting it with, you know, a little bit of a, something maybe that's not in the dish, but kind of complements it really well. So the, the plating part is, and I actually like, for example, you know, you can take something like a risotto, but instead of just plopping it there where it looks like a kind of a puck of goo or whatever. I mean, if you take like a, a, a cup, like a, you know, a physical, like that holds a cup of water or a cup of like, you know, flour. Like I, I tend to use those kinds of instruments quite a bit, as well as melon ballers, ice cream scoops. Uh, I use all kinds of things that give me nice shapes. So just take the example of like the risotto. So you, you have a risotto that's rather relatively sticky. And then I, I spray the inside of the one of the cup with like olive oil, olive oil spray. And then I, I, I put the risotto in there and then I, I put the plate on top of it and then turn it, it's upside down and then I turn it right side up. And so the risotto would be like, for example, in the middle, but it would have a very nice shape. And then very simply, you just put a piece of a sprig of like, you know, uh, rosemary or a sprig of like parsley or, 
I chop up some fresh chives or whatever. You've already elevated it. You haven't really done anything differently. But but I think that the fun part, Brett, the consistent thing would be I put I will put something like that in the middle, not what we call the entree main course, which is the meat in Western in Western cooking. We sure, think of sure, the meat. Yeah. So I, I I tend to come at that a little bit differently, and it's really more about the artistry of it and the presentation, which is it's it's just fun. It's just something I've done over the past 25 years plus of, you know, really the past 20 years. It's just, that's just how I, I do it for that effect. And it's just a lot, like I said, it's just a lot of fun. It's yeah. fun. I, I love it. And, and what I think it does, and I think the, the lesson or the tie-in this has, one, I think you're probably making people hungry. So people are like hitting pause and going to, you know, their favorite restaurant or whatever, or, or, or turning on the cooking channel or something. Uh, or this is like the cooking channel, right? The second. But I, I think what's, what's really applicable to e-commerce and to business is, you care about the details and you understand that the presentation, both the look of the food, but also the way it's delivered to the uh, guest and the way they're going to consume it all plays a big part in their enjoyment and their satisfaction. And the same is true for our e-commerce businesses, right? Packaging, the landing page experience, the checkout experience, like all these little things that we may think of, of just being functional, utilitarian, right? Like that, that leads to the experience. And if you put a little care, a little attention into it, you can make that a wow experience as well, which makes, I think you could argue it makes the food taste better, right? In this case, and maybe it makes the experience up front will make someone enjoy the product better once they actually get it and, and things like that. So uh, really, really fascinating. It was fascinating to watch you in, in action on that. So I appreciate letting us take that little, that little detour. Uh, so let, let's do this. Let's let's talk. Tell people what VHC Brands is. What kind of products you offer, and tell us kind of the quick origin story of the business. Sure. So we're we're a import distribution company for home textiles. So we we design all of our own product. It's all our own private label uh, VHC Brands, and then some sub brands that we have depending on the look and lifestyle of the product. But it's all it's all home textiles. So think in terms of bedding, pillows. Uh, Christmas decor, trim home, you know, um, a lot of window treatment, a lot of rugs. So it's all tactile and it's all fabric and it's all, it's all, it's all fiber or fabric. Uh, so we, that's the business we've been in for 25 years. Uh, we started in 1995, as you said. Uh, so our 25th anniversary was this past July 9th. Um, Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. So it's a family business. I founded it with my parents at their proverbially on their kitchen table uh, they were retired. My dad retired very young from a Fortune 500 job that he had, had his entire uh, career at one company, and he and so he started he started low and ended you know very high, and then retired kind of young, uh, you know, and he was pretty bored. So they had this idea for a business, and they didn't want to they didn't want to grow it, and they didn't know what they wanted to do, and none of us knew anything about textiles, and certainly nothing about importing. And, and none of us had actually run a business. We, I mean, my dad worked at a, at a large company and I was out of college. And so, I mean, we, we put our heads together and said, let's, you know, I, I said, let's kind of do this business. And they, they supported me wanting to kind of start a business. So that's that's kind of how it started. So, so we, we did that and we started buying liquidations and cancellations from large textile importers that were getting... Uh, sort of like left hanging by mass retailers. So like so like JCPenney's or another mass retailer would order several containers of a product and then cancel the last two. And we developed a business model around like 
soaking those up and then reselling those to smaller retailers as a kind of a go-between. So it was an interesting model, kind of a strange model, this arbitrage kind of model. It was really strange, right? Uh, so, and it was scalable up to a point, but then we found that we couldn't continue to scale it because the unpredictability of the supply chain. Yeah, yeah. In inventory is totally unpredictable in that in that arbitrage environment, right? Yeah. So, and if it's a good year, everyone had a great Christmas, there's not that much inventory to buy that got canceled or whatever, right? So that was the other problem. So then we switched over to buying uh, from de designing product with importers, mostly China. Then we switched over to uh, just going to China and, and doing it ourselves with the factories. And then we then we established an office in China. And then along the way, we also established an office in India, which now is the office we have. We don't have the China office anymore. So we, we morphed over from being a, a liquidator and remarketer to designing our own product to uh, working as the direct importer. And then, and then we shifted kind of upscale. Uh, there's a whole ecosystem in India for home textiles on the level of, say, a Pottery Barn or a Ralph Lauren. That's that's kind of our niche, which is very different than say uh, something that's say you know twelve ninety nine at TJ Maxx or whatever. So it's a very different deal. So so we we kind of evolved the company or 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 changed the company over time to that to the current model as far as product, and then and then we've we've switched over from being a wholesaler uh, to selling to small retailers. Then we started adding mass retailers, and then we started adding private label for retailers which is still a big part of our business. And then we added e-commerce and now we're switching over to a direct to consumer centric model on major marketplaces, along with having major business with some of the curated closed loop marketplaces like the Wayfairs and the Overstocks, uh, house.com. So, so these are not like open source marketplaces in the way that Amazon is kind of uploaded and see, right? Kind of, I mean, that's an oversimplification, but like you, you can't just go out to Wayfair and upload your product and hope somebody notices. I mean, so, so we, we, we've operated in that sphere for a, a while in terms of wholesale because it was a natural extension of selling at wholesale to retailers, right? So that, that's the business that we've been in longer. But, but then we, we jumped into the direct-to-consumer and we had a three-year game plan that we accelerated approximately, you know, 18, 19 months uh, into the current year uh, as opposed to 2021 uh, because of COVID. So, exactly. it's, yeah. 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 so it's really been this transformation, but the common thread has been the product and kind of like scaling the product and scaling the production levels. Yeah, and I, and I love how you took that progression, right? You did the, the arbitrage thing to, to figure out how the business, I'm, I'm going to simplify a little bit, but you did that to kind of figure out the game and figure out, you know, how do we, how do we find other retailers to sell this product to? And then you realize, hey, we need it. We need something predictable. And we want to build like a real brand here. And so you started, you know, developing your own goods. And, and I love that, that you are multi-channel and you do that so well. And I, I think this speaks to kind of your superpower, which we'll talk about in a little bit and talk about how you've adjusted to the pandemic and, and this other crisis that I think people will be really interested to hear about, which we'll dive into in a minute. Uh, but, you know, you've been very good at, at, at wholesale, you know, distribution to retail and e-commerce and now marketplaces and, and a variety of things. I want to key in on something for just a minute because I think this will be either new to people listening or people listening are considering doing this. And so your insights will be, will be useful. You were telling me as we were kind of chatting offline, 
you know, thinking about if you're selling to a big box retailer or any retailer for that matter, thinking uh, how as a vendor, how do we support the retailer, right? How do we, how do we make this successful? So can you share just any, any tips, any insights on, hey, as a, as a wholesaler selling to retailers, how do we make the, the retailer's life easier and how do we position things for success? Well, I know it, it's, 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 it'll sound self-serving, but you know, in terms of e-commerce, uh, there, there's a lot of things you can do that in, for, to, to, to manage a retail partnership with a mass retailer at the, at, at the top of your game for your, your particular product or industry that frankly, uh, Brett, a lot of that got blown out of the water with COVID that's just different now, right? Like doing a great job at trade shows or really engaging with the buyer team or, um, you know, trying to present a, a nice roster of product in an environment that the buyer feels comfortable with. Uh, you know, that was just a lot of this. It's just gone. Yeah, what is gone now? Yeah. Yeah. It's just gone. So uh, I know with regard to like, uh, like selling on an e-commerce closed, uh, a curated marketplace uh, you really have to really focus a lot on content. And that is something that a lot of wholesalers, the, 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 the challenge for them mentally has been, hey, I'm not the retailer. So, quote, that's not my job. That's your job. And my job is to get it to you, right? Like, so, so we used to sell to Dillard's, right, in physical stores. Like, they had a home department and we used to sell top of bed to Dillard's under their private label. So, you know, you think of Dillard's as a big mass retailer, and they are still. Uh, and so, you know, our job was basically design the product and get it physically to their giant distribution center. And then, you know, we wipe our hands and our job's done. That's how you think of it, right? So, so in this new environment, that's, that's not where it stops. You're almost completely responsible for the end user experience in terms of content and the level of content and the amount of content, whether it's the video, the imagery, uh, the written content, the SEO-driven content—that's that's an extension of your product. That's not the, you don't have a physical product, and then somebody else does all that work. Now you do all that work, right? And so a lot of wholesalers they have they've had a hard time, and I think in COVID, a lot of them are waking up to this. That oh my gosh, my content is terrible, and I've got to do it. I've got to actually write content, and I've got to get up to speed on this. And you know the best the best. Suppliers for say an Overstock or a Wayfair, you know, figured this out years ago that it's not on, it's not Wayfair's problem. It's Wayfair's it's not just me. the platform, right? Wayfair is just right. the platform and, and right. the source of traffic, but you have to be in charge of the selling and the positioning and the content and all that. Yeah, and and you also have to be responsible for refreshing it because algorithms across the spectrum, across the landscape, it doesn't matter if we're selling wholesale to Home Depot or wholesale to Wayfair, or we're selling direct to consumer on Amazon, it, it doesn't matter. The algorithm, all algorithms, my experience, I should, I'm going to get way out of my depth real quick, but I'll just say this one thing. All these algorithms appear to recognize newness as good. Like they, they all recognize that, which is really cool. So if you're constantly tweaking it, you, you know, it may not move the dial for that specific SKU or product ensemble, but more often than not, you'd be, Surprise that the Wayfair handler, I call her handler, our account manager or whatever, say, hey, we really appreciate that you guys do that. So when you guys have something to say, we're going to listen, right? So I think just managing as much as you can contemplate to manage and take control of, to position yourself the best on the digital shelf, 
you need to have that accountability in your mind that that's on you. It's not on them as the quote mass retailer. I mean, effectively, you're the mass retailer on the mass retailer. If that makes sense. Yeah, I love it. And and this reminds me of a book that that I just absolutely love. It's called Extreme Ownership by a guy named Jocko Willink, and he was the 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 leader of the the special forces, the Navy SEAL team uh, in Iraq uh, back in, in like 2006, 2005. But he talks about how really like, think about that everything depends on you. Like you're, you're responsible for all of it. And of course, yes, pulling your team and, and you're maybe not doing all the work, but it's all, you're responsible, right? Extreme ownership. So I'm not going to leave my success in the hands of the the platform or of a retail buyer or something like that. I'm going to do everything I can to, to make their job easier, to, to make my product discoverable, to, give the algorithm what it wants to give my customer what they want. Like take, take extreme ownership in this. Cause if you don't, you're, you're going to get beat by people that are willing to do that. Yes. Yes. hundred yeah. percent agree. Yep. Awesome. So let's, let's do a couple of things. You, you, uh, you know, you kind of laid out your, your product line and, uh, and you also talked about, you know, just how things are, are changing rapidly. And, you know, now that we're in the, the midst of COVID and, you know, uh, holiday season is going to be interesting and, and who knows what the future holds. I think I think the current environment and likely what we should expect for the next several years is just more uncertainty, right? And so the ability to navigate uncertainty. Uh, I want to back up the clock a little bit and let you tell a story that I think will, will one be fascinating and, and inspiring, um, and and then we can also kind of tie this into COVID as well. But uh, one thing about your product, and then this will seem like a, a an odd segue, but your products are are flammable. Yeah, and so, uh, do you want to talk about uh, the event that that really probably would have crippled and or ruined uh, lots of other businesses? Talk talk about that event, and then we'll kind of unpack how you uh, came out of it. Sure, sure. So, the, you know, we've been in business twenty five years, which statistically is longer than most businesses. That, you know, so we, we, that's a milestone, and and that's that's been a lot of fun. It's not been all fun, but it's been a lot of fun. And I don't, I, you know, I, it's a really I don't, good way to put it. It's not all fun, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah. It's not all fun. You know, yeah. definitely you, you wake up and look in the mirror and it's either successful because of you or it's a disaster because of you. Either right, way, it's right. easy. Yeah. So I, I enjoy that kind of accountability uh, at that level. But there's been four major disruptions or and or pivots in the life of the company. So, so, and I'm not going to like deep dive, but the first one we were founded in 1995, and we were really hitting our stride in 2000 when 9/11 happened. Yeah, so yeah, that, yeah. So that was, and I know that sounds like ancient history uh, because I know I listen to a lot of podcasts. Feel like, yeah, you know, I've been doing this forever. How long? Half a decade. I'm like, wow, that's you know, half a decade. <laughs> yes. like, I think, like, you've been doing it as long as I've had a, a rescue dog. That, that's right, not, exactly. You know, yeah, my dog's not that old. You know. Yeah. So yeah. like. Uh, so the 2000 was like a major disruption where it, it felt like the world stopped. It did. Right? It did. It shifted. It did blew up the advertising world. And I was it, selling radio at the time. It changed everything uh, for, for there for a little while. Yeah. So there was that short, deep recession because everyone was like, uh, to your point, there's a paradigm shift now, right? Okay. Uh, there's, there's evil in the world that specifically is, is real, is going to like try to rough us up pretty bad. Okay. We, we didn't know that. All right. Move. No, the next one was, the fourth quarter of 2008 through 2009 was brutal. I mean, the, the beginning of the Great Recession, I remember the day, and it ended up being the same day that the Federal Reserve said the recession started, November 14th. I was walking around in the warehouse in the distribution center uh, because our offices were attached to that. And, and 
you know, I'd go out there for a little mental break and walk around and see how the horse on. I came back in, I told my dad, I said, you know, does this just not feel like fourth quarter to you for some strange reason? He goes, mm-hmm. yeah, it feels mm-hmm. light. And I'm not kidding. Between November 14th and April 2009, six months later, the bottom had dropped out of everything. I mean, it was like, you know, retailers canceling orders, buyers being fired because the revenue had dropped so much. I mean, I had people tell me, it was was totally nuts. So there was this scary, like, it was like dropping, just dropping, right? So addressing that new reality of like, this this is the new level of where we are. Our business dropped about 25 or 27% over a six month period. And it just dropped. I mean, you know, and you're not prepared for that. You're prepared to go the other way as an entrepreneur. You know, you know, you get up every day and you're optimistic or you wouldn't be in this business. Absolutely. You know, so you think for, so there was that. So that so that that was that. And then and then dealing around that and kind of pivoting through that. And how do you how did that change the wholesale marketplace, how wholesale work, that changed trade shows? You know, it that was the beginning of the consolidation that now I think COVID has like really put some really put some stuff, you know, at, at, on its last, you know, kind of leg. So the, the next big one, obviously the one you want to drill down on is we had a massive fire in October of 2016. Uh, the massive on the scale of, um, I had to deal with the state fire marshal in Missouri because it, it was a huge fire. It was, we had a 36,000 square foot building that had two levels. So it was more like 42,000 square feet. So we had offices. We had just completed a massive new corporate national showroom literally 30 days earlier. Uh, We had tons of inventory heading into fourth quarter and we had a big building. And so, yes, all of our product is textile wrapped in plastic. And so, and and it's cotton and it has a lot of cotton batting. So that that destroyed 75% of our inventory, our brand new showroom, all of our corporate offices, all of our, everything we had, our server room was melted. The, the, the fire lasted, it started on the evening, the afternoon of the 13th, right when we closed that day. And it didn't stop burning for 10 days. And it, at, at its intensity that evening was 1800 degrees. So it's, it's hard to fathom. It, yeah. yeah. That, that starts to melt steel and stuff, right? I mean. It, it literally did melt the giant steel building. And what was happening was these steel girders and all these racks that you put product on and, you know, the forklifts blew up and all the servers melted. And I mean, it was like, it was, it was a war zone. It looked, it looked terrible. So, but the building literally melted in on itself and there was so much concentrated uh, activity in the product itself that they couldn't put the fire out. So it, it just, they just had to let it burn. I mean, they just had to let it, you know, they put a bunch of water on it, but they, there's only so much you can do. And so, yeah, so it it really was this thing that if I could show you pictures, I'm, I'll send you some, but it, it was this thing to where you look at it and you, you don't, you're not just looking at a fire, you're looking at, it looked like a bomb went off or something. You know? yeah, yeah. It was this crazy thing. So I was out having sushi and just kind of celebrating the kickoff to a really strong fall wholesale season. I mean, we were running and gunning. We were having a fantastic year with Wayfair, our first, that was our first 
big Christmas season and fourth quarter was Wayfair we were gearing up for. At the time, we also had Groupon. We had some other you know things we were doing. Uh, so we were we were totally gearing up for like this massive like great fall. The economy was growing. Things were good. And I was out at Sushi with some good friends of mine in the economic development realm uh, regionally here, and uh, and I got a phone call. Hey, Ken, your building's on fire. And I thought, what? What? I have a fire alarm. Well, the fire alarm, I mean, that didn't mean anything, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, the, so by the time I got there, the building was blazing. It was already like 1,200 degrees. And, you know, you're talking about a 42,000 square foot building that you're watching being obliterated, you know, in front of you. Like, in, you know, and so... It would have had to have been a totally surreal moment, right? Because, you know, and, and it... It is a business and not your home, like with people in it. God forbid that would be that would be next. Right. Yeah, that'd be that'd be unspeakable. But still, this is your business. You poured your, your heart and soul into this, and you're and you're cranking, and you you've gone through other problems, and and like it's just things are happening, and now you literally see it in flames. Uh, that would have had to have been totally surreal. It it was, and the interesting thing about it was, in we started. Uh, triaging in the parking lot with the fire blazing behind us, actually. Uh, so, yeah, that was interesting because I was, like I said, I was at dinner with some friends, some close friends. And, you know, we, the the president of the Chamber of Commerce came out and he said, Ken, you, you know, we're, we're starting to help right now. While the fire is happening, we're starting, we're going to start thinking about what we're going to do. And we worked overnight on things to do. So literally, Brett, the fire was October 13th, which was a Thursday evening. Uh, we had another small warehouse next door, which is not connected. It's 25 feet away, so it didn't get burned. But the funny thing is that was all the inventory that's slower, so we put it the farthest away from the shipping base, right? <laughs> so, so we still had all of our slowest inventory that the we did. Nobody wants. We got we the stuff that, that nobody wants is in warehouse number two, and all the stuff that everybody wants is now gone. So, but literally, uh, I had a meeting the next morning. We had a, I pulled the entire staff together at the, my staff at, we met at Branson Chamber of Commerce, 8 a.m. the next morning. I'd been up all night because the fire never went out. And I said, guys, we're down, but we're not out. We're, 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 we're beat, but we're not broke. I mean, we're, you know, the, we're, we're going to get through this. So we, we literally opened a new office in Branson that Monday morning, the next Monday morning, um, my, my, uh, my, my team for it was just, they just really showed their superpowers because they, they came to the, you know, we completely set up a whole new office and migrated it uh, over the weekend. And so we started taking phone calls and started taking orders on the 25% of inventory we still had. We put out an e-blast that said, Hey, we had a massive fire. So, you know, but that, that's a problem. But, uh, you know, we're open for business and taking orders. Then we immediately started retrofitting the small warehouse for shipping. And we were up and shipping uh, 10 days later. Um, so we were ha- so Yeah. So it, and, and my whole team really there's there's two things here, Brad, as far as like lessons, like corporate life lessons. One is I've got a deep, a pretty deep bench of team members that have been with me a long time. And that DNA was there. Right. So team members that really like we're not missing a beat. We feel pretty beat up, but we're not missing a beat. And then secondly, all of our systems and everything was already in the cloud. We had migrated everything over to the cloud about a year or two earlier. So literally up to the minute 
invoices, invoicing, financials, uh, whatever records we had. We knew what we shipped that day. We knew what had not shipped and was still sitting on docks that didn't go. Uh, so there was that whole deal. So very one of the big takeaway lessons is, look, this doesn't, this is a part of your life, but it does not define you, right? Okay, so so it's a lesson to be learned. It's a massive lesson to be learned, but it doesn't define you. So there's there's things we can do, uh, but the, immediately, believe me, this was one of the biggest fires of the month nationally, and that, that's how insurance adjusters talk about this. So they didn't just send the guy. I mean, they sent the guy from Chicago that's head of, you know, giant disasters regionally talking to this guy, talking to the state fire marshal. I mean, they've got some pretty serious questions for Ken Klein because, sure, sure, you know, what's in your building with all those textiles that burnt down? Yeah. You know, what's the deal? <laughs> questions related to potential fraud or something. I mean, like, like something of that magnitude, you get all kinds of crazy questions. I'm sure. Yeah. So, so that's. Exactly. Now, it turns out that we had installed video monitoring throughout the building uh, prior to the fire, not not just prior, but, you know, as part of security and just employee, just like monitoring, because we had a little bit of theft in the warehouse with some employees, unfortunately. So we started monitoring like outflow and workflow and things like that. So, you know, we could pinpoint where the fire came from and what what it was. This is a very sad story. Uh, what, what it was, was we had hired a, a guy to do a little bit of remodeling for us. And we decided to put um, new shelves in our corporate, um, in our, in our conference room to merchandise like product when buyers came in for small showings. But we picked out a stain. And so we were just staining the wood and then we're going to hang it, you know, in modern look. Well, every day he came in and he did the staining and did everything, cleaned everything up. He was super, super, like super tidy. But one day, the last day, he was tired. He wadded up his stain rag, and instead of dipping it in water and taking it out, he absentmindedly threw it in the trash. And this is on video. And then that flame, two hours later, when we closed, just started coming up out of the trash. It was also coincidentally a day that the warehouse crew didn't dispose of all the trash, which was SOP. Like the one day that that trash can was filled up with like wipes and stuff and like hand towels was the same day that he absentmindedly and accidentally threw that in there. And it literally started flaming up. And then from there, it shot across the roof and the whole thing was like, poof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's so the couple things I want to want to mention here. One, you know, we're, we're all going to face situations like that, not to that severity and not, you know, hopefully not massive fires, but we'll have these potentially business altering events. COVID is one of them that we'll talk about in a minute, but like we're going if to, if you are lucky enough to be in business any length of time, you're going to have situations like this that, that, that bring you to your knees, maybe even just mentally or whatever, but that you have to, to work through. And, and on the other side, you could come out stronger and better, or it could destroy you. A couple of things you said that I thought was really powerful. You mentioned that this mentality was already in your DNA, that you were, you know, getting the office put together over the weekend, you're making phone calls or taking phone calls that next Monday, you know, you're back in business. I think that is key. Like you got to build your culture and it, it starts with you as a business leader. You got to build that culture to say, we're going to be ready for anything as much as possible. And, and you know, we're not going down easily, right? Like you got to have that in your DNA because 
you can't wait for a crisis for things to like that to come out, right? It's got to be in your DNA pre-crisis, in my opinion. Um, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah I, do you have something you want to say on that? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think that, um, you know, part of the deal is, you, you know, one of the points I was going to make is, you know, how did you, what, what's the business lesson for the listeners yeah. and other, other business owners and entrepreneurs? One of the, one of the big like rock, rock business lessons out of this is, you know, first of all, be present and over communicate and over communicate that there's a plan and we're moving forward. If that's your choice, I mean, that was my choice that we're going to, we're going to overcome this and we're going to move forward. But then I, I had, I treated, there's, there's a basket of, of, of uh, stakeholders that I had to treat as if they were investors, so to speak. So now I had the insurance company on the hook for almost $10 million. You, you know, I, I really cultivated a strong relationship with the head insurance adjuster from day one, literally from day one, I was walking him through the building and it was still smoking. I was walking him through the financials. I was walking him through the inventory levels and I was walking him through the basic operations, like from memory, like I'm going to treat you as a partner in this, not as an, a, not as an enemy in this. You're yes. my partner in this. Yeah. So the same thing with the fire marshal, same thing with the inve- investigators. Like, the, listen, listen, we're partnering in this discovery. I'm just as curious as you what happened, you know? Uh, so let's get to the bottom of this. And then I, I really try to be a better leader for my team employees and saying, listen, the, every, first of all, everyone has a job and your job recognize this, which applies to COVID, by the way. It does. Hey, hey, one week after COVID hit, there was a roster of employees that had a very different job. And I said, you better check what you thought your job was because yeah. your job just changed. Yeah. And so you'll and people, have a job and that's great to lead with that. But your job is changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's two things. Yeah, you have you everyone in this room. All of us here gathered post fire in this conference room in the in the you know the chamber of commerce. You all have a job that's full time, but it's going to be different. Here's what I'm assigning you. Here's what I'm assigning you. Here's what I'm assigning you. And here's what I'm assigning you. Now let's go. So this is what we're going to do. My job as CEO just changed because now I have to over communicate with the insurance company. I have to over communicate with my bank. I have to over communicate with my my vendors in India. Right. Like I've, I've, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a level of part and part of, if you're going to accept the mantle of leadership, you have to accept this idea, Brett. I'm a big believer that you better be a communicator. You'd better be, a communicator. that's not an option. Right. And you better over communicate. Yeah. So that was really the deal. Like, how do I make this, how do I make this path very smooth for everyone where, and I learned this lesson from my dad because he went from working a a low level desk job all the way to reporting to the chairman of the board of a publicly traded company and running the, he ran the the stockholder meetings and he ran the board of directors meetings. My dad did, right? He was not on the board, but he ran them as the chief, one of the chief financials. So like he told me, son, no surprises for major stakeholders. Just remember that as a lesson. You should never surprise anyone. That means early distant warnings on problems. If earnings are going to be off, early distant warning. I mean, I've I've had my bank tell me more than one time. I've got a fantastic bank out of Springfield that's a big regional bank. Um, They said, Ken, you you probably communicate more than the average publicly traded company. Not not never mind the fact that you're a you know a 
a family-owned business with just a bank. I mean, you you really try to give us the full story. Like we never have a problem, like we never have a question because it's laid out. So I, I think that's just so important. I don't want to overemphasize that, but it, it's just so important to do that because what you're doing is you're filling in a lot of gaps. People are afraid to ask. They don't know what to ask. They don't know how to articulate what to ask. So you're filling in a lot of, of that vacuum for people, which to me is a kind of a style of leadership. I don't know if that makes sense, but that ties into being an English major and messing around in Pepperdine. <laughs> it, it does, but it's so important. And and I love that early distant warnings. Like if you see rumblings, like communicate with your stakeholders and communicate early and often with employees and, and over communicate. And that, that breeds trust and it helps people feel like a partner and they feel vested and then they want to, they want to stand with you and, and fight through the difficult times. And like, it just, it's so important and it does take work, but I think in the end it, it makes things smoother and easier. So it's totally worth the investment to over communicate. Um, any other, and I know we could, we could, we could talk much longer on the fire and there's probably questions people have about it. Like how did you survive? You know, like, cause the rebuilding process, you know, just, just having the right mindset and rebuilding your office, that's one thing, but like getting vendors to, to, to retailers to trust you, like getting all that to happen major uphill battle. Um, any, any other uh, takeaways from that? And then uh, I want to transition to COVID here in just a second. Yeah. You know, I think tied to over-communicate or attempt to over-communicate is focused on where you're going. And I think if you can kind of visualize you, first of all, for yourself and then, and then give that vision to other people that, Hey, you know, the exciting thing about this guys is we don't have a warehouse, but we're going to have a brand new warehouse in eight months. The exciting thing is, you know, we, we, this allows us to rethink some of the things we were doing that we, it's an opportunity to re, redraw the map. Uh, it's an opportunity to lay out the warehouse more effectively. It's an opportunity to re-up on some new equipment we probably needed. So if you, if you try to put a positive spin on things and focus on where you're going and kind of give that, there's a roadmap. I have a roadmap. I'm communicating a roadmap and I'm asking you to be part of the roadmap. That's kind of the, the idea, which is kind of like the over communicate, but a little bit different because it's, there's an, there's an end game here. There's a goal in mind. And, and, and like Jack Welch said, who's now discredited, but he said a lot of great things Look and celebrate along the way, you know, Hey, the building, the, the red irons up. Yay. You know, Hey, we're, we're receiving our first inventory post-fire. Yay. You know, we're, uh, Hey, we're opening our new so-and-so whatever our new forklift got delivered. Exciting. I mean, those sound like dumb things, but in business, when you work all day with people, and you spend 40 plus hours a week with them, you got to kind of talk about that kind of stuff. Yep, yep. You want to celebrate those milestones and it feels like progress. And I think people can endure a lot if they feel like they're making progress and celebrating those milestones uh, really allows you to do that, which is, which is super powerful. And it's so interesting how well this ties in to COVID, but I want to talk about, you know, you, you guys, you guys were selling in a lot of brick and mortar stores. You know, you kind of alluded to that. You had started selling in, some, some marketplaces like Wayfair and, and others, but talk about some of the shifts you guys had to make, you know, uh, in the early days of, of COVID. Okay. So it's, it's very similar to the fire. Yeah. So uh, it's very interesting because first of all, for just broad philosophical comparisons, uh, one was a disaster on a very personal level that could have taken our business out. The COVID similar, but but millions of people kind of experiencing millions of businesses experiencing all this unknown and turbulence together. So, but but what's interesting is the idea that hey, 
this is a very turbulent, fluid environment, and we probably are going to have to pivot and do some things differently. So let's just be mindful that we're going to have to be open-minded about this, guys, right? So I can tell you what we did post-fire was we sold to a lot of retailers that uh, couldn't toggle on and off or just run with it on autopilot like Wayfair or Overstock or whoever. So we leaned heavily into e-commerce uh, post-fire because it was up to us to have the listing correct as opposed to talk to a buyer that, hey, I don't know if you're stable because you know you went to a big fire and I, I don't know if I feel good about a vendor that, you know, I mean, there, there was those conversations that we had to say, wait a minute, the, the, the Wayfarers and the Overstocks and the Zulilies are really agnostic as to what inventory we don't have. They just care about the inventory we do have. Exactly, exactly. You know, and so we pivoted heavy into wholesale e-commerce. We were leaning into it, but we pivoted very heavily post-fire. The parallel here with COVID is, you know, now we've built up those relationships over the past five years and we, you know, at a wholesale level and we're, we're doing a lot of that and we're, we're very happy with that channel of business. It's quite large uh, between the Wayfarers and the Overstocks and all that. But then COVID, we pivoted immediately starting in March I took a bunch of staffers, uh, probably 25% of our staff, and I said, look, guys, you're going to have a new job starting in April. March was an absolute disaster. Revenue dropped 55%. Which, oh, it was, it was like a jumbo jet. I mean, it was just... And I said, guys, we're going to completely pivot to our plan for direct-to-consumer. We're going to completely overhaul our eBay and Amazon stores. We're going to upgrade our stores. Plus, I'm assigning 12 staffers full-time to this job now. Your job is now direct-to-consumer retail support, content, images, videos, um, you know, scrubbing the deck, whatever. I mean, this is what we're doing starting now, starting this week. Uh, that's what we're starting to do right now. Heavy pivot, guys. So forget what you thought you were going to do this month. Forget what you thought you were going to do this quarter. It's a heavy pivot. The ship is pivoting, right? So that was a very similar talk. And by the way, the cool thing, Brett, the cool thing is how many employees I have that remember that same talk. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, I'm sure they love it. Like that's, that's a defining one. That's something they will remember forever. You giving that talk and then the way they responded to it, they'll, they'll remember that forever. Well, the other thing, it was kind of cool. It's kind of like a Marvel. It was kind of like a Marvel cinematic moment where we're like, we've been here before, guys. You know, it sucks that we've been here before. It sucks that there's the giant fire-breathing dragon in front of us. Yep. But we're going to win, you know? Yep, yep. And, and, and it did pull something out of you that, that just normal everyday activity doesn't. And and yeah, you know, you guys have done so well. And I think what's interesting, you know, this this ties to both the the, the great uh, recession, you know, back in 2008 and 9 and, and 10 and then and then the fire and then COVID is you you were starting to lay the groundwork for things, right? You were You were looking ahead visionary, thinking about what's coming in the future. You're beginning to lay some groundwork for things. And, and you also had this DNA built in the company. Hey, we'll do whatever. We're never going to quit. Never going to give up, which reminds me of the Winston Churchill story that I want to maybe, we'll maybe wrap up with that. That'll be kind of fun. Um, but you're kind of, you, you got this DNA and you're laying the groundwork. And then when the stuff hits the fan, you're ready. Like you're ready to do a, a hard and fast pivot and and just go much, much quicker on the, uh, that groundwork you were already already laying, and so um, I think there's I think there's a lesson there too of be looking ahead and begin planning. You you already position you'd already transitioned to to retail or to e-commerce quite a bit, and I'm sure that made it way easier than to go full speed in e-commerce uh, post COVID. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, exactly. So, so that's, that's the thing. And I think here's the deal. People, I think sometimes people that may be at a lower level of business. I know I talk to people that don't have businesses as large as ours. And I talk to a lot of CEOs that are kind of mentors to me that have businesses at much greater scale that are, have been, they're, they're been direct to consumer or have been exclusively direct to consumer for a, a long, a much longer time. Right. And so I, I know talking to people with smaller businesses, there's a lot of confusion around having a plan and that plan may not go perfectly. That doesn't mean you just sit it out in reality. The point is you had a plan. You, you didn't have to adjust. So we already had a plan. We just had to pivot and move some of the parts around and the timing. Right. But we, but we had a plan. And so here's the deal. Like just give one quick example. So like my, my, my go-to who's on the calls weekly with OMG, Lindsay, for our product development. She's the head of our product development under myself and my wife, Julie. And so um, we, we bookended content management last year onto, you know, if, if we're going to launch product, you know, or two years ago, part of the product development cycle is the end of that. The physically, once we go into production, the final phase of your job is to make sure we're drafting the content and getting the imagery line up, right? So we just added that to the product development cycle. And so I told Lindsay, I said, Lindsay, COVID's going to be bad for at least six months. We're not developing a bunch of new product. We don't need a spring launch based on how things are going. Your entire job is content overhaul now for the until further notice. And I'm assigning all these people under you. So we don't need to worry about launching a bunch of new product in this wacky retail environment, but we need to worry about a complete overhaul of all of our content. So that's really kind of your job. Right. And I took other people and gave them their job that, you know, look, your job's adjusting. I don't know if it's three months, six months or nine months, but your job's adjusting. Yep. So here's what we're doing. So those are kind of big takeaways. And I think you guys have a big enough organization, OMG, where you, I'm sure you've had things where you say, look, I know that we we hired you for this, but this is your job yeah. now. Yeah. Or I'm changing your job. Yeah, absolutely. Re- redeploying people and redeploying assets based on what the marketplace gives you, based on what's needed. Yeah, we kind of did something similar in in COVID when a lot of our Amazon clients, you know, Amazon stopped delivering their product or stopped receiving their product into the warehouses. And so uh, Chris Tyler, who you guys work very closely with, he and I were chatting and then he rallied the Amazon team. They're like, well, we've never done Fulfilled by Merchant, but let's coach our clients through that. Let's make calls to a bunch of our network and figure out how to guide our clients through this. And so we started doing things that were outside of our norm to help clients succeed. And, and in some ways, it was a, kind of a fun time. Like it was, it was also painful and, and you know, I wish we could have avoided it. But in some ways, you know, there was, there was also this element of, wow, proud of, I'm proud of the team and proud of what they, what they accomplished. Sure. Uh, so I want to kind of, we're kind of up against time, although I'd love to chat for another 30 minutes or an hour here, but we're kind of up against it. Um, I mentioned the Winston Churchill quote, never give up and, and love Winston Churchill. That guy is so inspiring. We, we could talk uh, at length about him as well, but, but talk about the, the, William, uh, the, the Winston Churchill painting and how that kind of relates to the fire and we'll kind of, we'll kind of wrap up with this. Yeah, and I, hopefully you can. Sh- I, what I shared with you, I sent you a, a cat. Yeah, I'll put the picture in the show notes. So check it out uh, at omgcommerce.com under podcast, uh, or you can Google, you know, Kim Klein episode e-commerce evolution. You'll find it. But yeah, I'll put a picture of that in the show notes. Yeah. So the the cool thing is, I attended the uh, Ramsey Solutions, which is Dave Ramsey, which you know has a very successful business where Dave Ramsey is the product, and then he 
his product is also expertise in managing personal finances and like trying to be trying to be successful, you know? So um, I attended Entree Leadership, which is a week-long deep dive that up the, I think one of the last classes was the one that where he taught personally was the one I attended, which I, it was like 2015. So like a year before the fire. So uh, in the part of the deal is you go through these five day intensive, like discussions with Dave Ramsey about not only running a successful business, but running a, a very profitable business. And then, you know, he's an extremist. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, he's a purist. I should say that not only does he have a massive business at scale with 600 plus employees, $200 million, he doesn't have any bank debt. He doesn't use banking like for that. Only the other thing he does with the bank is park all his money. So he runs it totally on cash flow. And uh, it's very inspiring. So the Entree Leadership thing, part of the deal is at the end, they have a ceremony and they kind of say, hey, you guys are part of this graduating class. And then Dave Ramsey personally gave each of us uh, that uh, signed lithograph from that artist uh, that says, it's Winston Churchill, never give in. Actually, I just so, found it. So if someone is watching the video, you should be able to see it. Now I'm sharing the, the screen. So. Cool. Thanks for putting that up. So yeah, so this one, it's actually framed in a really nice frame, but I says I, I, <laughs> I did cam scanner and it cut the frame out and gave you Winston, which is fine. But so the funny thing is, or the interesting thing, Brett, is I, I was very inspired by this. And I had I have a whole notebook of notes from Dave Ramsey and all the talks and the dinners and everything. And, and so I took this and I, I, I had it framed in a very nice frame. And I hung it at the front entrance of our office. And this is, it's, it's, it's just really interesting, Brett, that that was the only wall that didn't get destroyed. And this painting, this lithograph framed, had a little bit of smoke damage, but it was one of the only things that didn't get destroyed. So crazy. So cool. So, so symbolic, uh, just, just really adds to the, the story, but um, love Winston Churchill, never give up, never give in. Uh, such a, a powerful way to live life and to operate your business. And, and, you know, as we all try to, to conquer uncharted territories and, and either compete with Amazon or partner with Amazon, or, you know, once the pandemic is over and we face the next set of challenges, we need that mindset. Like we need that never give in, never, never give up attitude. And so uh, really glad to tie that into the story. Such a, such a great way to, to end that discussion and also kind of wrap up the podcast. And so Ken, for people to, to check you out more, because I always recommend, hey, follow good marketers, pay attention to what other good e-commerce brands are doing. How can people kind of discover VHC brands? And then how can people connect with you either on social or, or elsewhere? Yeah, that's my, the, the, the funny thing is, Brett, I'm a, I'm, I'm, that's where I'm antisocial. I don't, I actually don't participate in any of that. Awesome. And, Love that. Uh, so it's just Ken, it's K Klein at VHC Brands. I'm still, because I write thousand word emails that probably make everybody roll their eyes because I'm an English major. Uh, I, you know, I like our, our team shares them in the office. Like, check this out. This is amazing. Yeah. I, I like getting and receiving emails, which is really old school at this point. I appreciate that. My, my team is like, please be on teams and just chat, you know? So like, no, I want to write a long email and you have to read it. So, so <laughs> yeah. So yeah. K Klein at VHC Brands. Dot com And then uh, 
I don't know of other good ways to reach me. Maybe yeah, you know, that's fine. And people yeah, can reach out to page. OMG, and the OMG will find me. Maybe yeah, exactly. OMG, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll track Ken down for you. But yeah, check out vhcbrands.com. Also, you can check them out on Amazon. Uh, doing some great things there as well. So, Ken, hey, this has been a blast. This has been inspiring to me and educational, and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and, and opening up for us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate the hour, Brad. It was, it was really wonderful. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And so, uh, as always, you can find all the details in the show notes. Reach out to Ken, give him a thank you for this episode. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback. What would you like to hear more of on this podcast? And if you haven't done it, we would love that review on iTunes. That helps other people discover the show makes my day as well. And so with that, until next time, thank you for listening. At OMG Commerce, we accelerate growth for some of the most loved brands in e-commerce, like Boom, Native, True Earth, Overtone, and dozens more. If your Google and YouTube ad performance isn't where it should be, if you're struggling with Performance Max, or if you're not scaling like you'd like on Amazon, then we have two ways to help. One, we have amazing resources that are free for the taking, like our top YouTube ads guide with lots of examples, our PMAX checklist, or our Amazon DSP roadmap, plus many more. Or hit us up for a free strategy session. So go on over to omgcommerce.com and click on Let's Talk to request that free strategy session or click on Resources and Guides and pick the guide that's right for you. And now back to the show.